Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Beloved, our reading this morning presents itself from the Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel writer in Matthew understood the continuing presence of Christ to be found in the breaking of bread. Within the context of the Passover, the words, this is my body, are in Aramaic translated, this is myself, is understood as a symbolic action expressing a meaning not reducible to words, echoing the covenant between God and God's people. It was in the breaking of bread and in the life of Jesus that God's love was made visible and embodied. I invite you now to hear this reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, the 26th chapter, verses 26 through 30, as read by Larry McLaughlin. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Decades ago, one of the most famous business moguls in America was a man by the name of Lee Iacocca. Some of you remember that name. Perhaps you've heard of him. He led a Ford Motor Company for about 30 years, was best known for developing the iconic Ford Mustang back in the 1960s. Back in the day, Lee Iacocca was kind of a big deal. And one night, as the story goes, a stranger bumped into Iacocca at a restaurant in Dearborn, Michigan. And he recognized Iacocca immediately, walked over to his table and said, Mr. Iacocca, my name is Jack. It's an incredible honor to meet you. I've read your book. I've heard you speak. I'm a huge fan. And as they were shaking hands, an idea suddenly crossed Jack's mind. He said, Mr. Iacocca, in a few minutes, I'll be having this important business dinner over at that corner table. And it would really impress my guests if at some point during my meeting, you just walk over to my table and say, hello, Jack. You know, he said, like you know me. Just a simple hello, Jack. And it turned out Iacocca was willing to play along. And so several minutes later, he walked over to that corner table and on cue said, hello, Jack, how you doing? 
And as everyone glanced at Jack uh, in astonishment, Jack looked up at Iacocca and said, Not now, Lee. I'm busy. <laughs> have, you, have you ever tried to appear a little more important or impressive or influential or well put together than you really are? Welcome to the human race, my friends. <laughs> and to the race that so many of us humans happen to be running these days. In the modern world, we all struggle with this cultural pressure to sell ourselves as someone who has it all together to outwardly display this aura of competence and confidence and success and worthiness. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the chances of us getting very far in life by exuding incompetence or a lack of drive or self confidence. They're not super favorable. So we can be honest. There are certain advantages to showing up to the world with our best selves. But the problem arises when we start to believe that our best self is the only self that's allowed to show up to the world. And that in order to be accepted or worthy or even successful, we must hide or disguise or compensate for that part of ourselves that we think is somehow broken or flawed or unattractive. And when that happens, we become plagued by what psychologists call cognitive dissonance. There are many different expressions of cognitive dissonance, but in this case, it's this crippling state of dis-ease, which arises from this contradiction that we feel inside. A contradiction between the image we have of ourselves and the image that we are trying to project to the world. And we see this gap between the person we really are and the person we're trying to be for others, and we assume that we must compensate for that gap. And so we pretend, for example, to have it all together when we're actually falling apart. Or we pretend to be strong when we are actually scared to death, or we project success and confidence when it actually feels like we are failing miserably. This is an awful experience, and all of us in some way have lived through it. Maybe some of us are living through it right now. And simply put, it's the fear of, of not measuring up, and it's the worst, I think, and most universal of all human fears. Some fears are unique to certain people. Not everyone, for example, suffers from claustrophobia, the fear of confined spaces, or arachnophobia, spiders, or acrophobia, the fear of heights. Not everyone, thankfully, suffers from homilophobia, which is the fear of sermons. <laughs> and if you do, I have no sympathy for you right now. But everyone, I think, suffers to some degree from what's called cacorophiophobia. That's a big mouthful of letters, but it's the fear of failure. It's the fear of making a mistake. And isn't that the most debilitating of all fears? It affects everyone here in this space online, but it also and most acutely is felt by today's teenagers. As students report the the number one struggle in their lives today is stress over achievement, grades, and test scores, 
athletics, college admissions. Our students today can feel like every decision and every test and every performance, every competition can be so consequential that it will affect the entire course of their lives forever. And then when they inevitably do come up short, like all of us, when they, when they do blow it sometimes, it, it can feel a lot like the end of the world. And because they lack what many adults have, which is this, this, this ability to keep failure in perspective, because they lack that at a young age, they can feel absolutely overwhelmed. Now, even adults experience this, which I think is why what we do as a church, what we experience as the, the Christian community can be so life-saving and liberating. Because here, we discover that there is this alternative to the cult of perfection. This cult of perfection that pervades our modern world. And that alternative is the body of Christ. And it is symbolized in something as ordinary and unadorned as a simple loaf of bread that's been broken into. On his last night on earth, Jesus gathered his best friends together in a little house. And all those friends were a little on edge. They were riddled with fear and uncertainty about what was going to happen to Jesus. Because most recently he's been talking and dropping little hints about the fact that he wasn't going to be around much longer and that things were not going to end so well for him. He kept uh, talking about suffering and death and no one wants to talk about that. And so everyone present that night, they knew that, that Jesus was a wanted and hunted man. And they all together sensed that he was troubled in some way and maybe a little distracted What they didn't know was that Jesus understood his need to prepare them for what was about to happen. He knew that his arrest and his crucifixion would scatter and spiral them in fear and self-doubt and regret. He knew that their seeing him on a cross, crucified, would wreck them, would absolutely break them, and that they would be overwhelmed by grief and the feeling that they had failed him. And we do this. If only I had done more. I should have done more. And so knowing what was to come for them, Jesus gathers them together and he hosts this little meal. This would be his last meal with them. But I, in my mind, imagination, it wasn't some solemn last supper. I like to think there was more laughter and wine than tears and sadness. And we don't know all that transpired that night, but we do know that after everyone had eaten, Jesus reached over and took a loaf of bread and he held it up for everybody to see. And then he said the most memorable words, in my mind, maybe the most important words he ever spoke to anyone. This is my body. And then he broke the bread in two. It wasn't the words that he spoke or just his act of breaking the bread that made all this so powerful and unforgettable. It was that he joined these two things together. 
without those words, this is my body, the act of breaking the bread would, would just probably seem like an extension of the meal they were already having. And without the act of breaking the bread, those words, this is my body, would probably to them sound like what he's already taught them in the Gospel of John more recently when he says, I am the bread of life. But to say, this is my body, while at the same time breaking the bread in two, this changed everything. Because what he was really saying was, just like this bread, I am broken. And he he held it up, this broken bread, which was now his broken life, so that everyone can see it. And he says, this is me. I'm broken now. And it's not so bad. It's actually beautiful. In this moment, Jesus has now stripped away everything about him. His status, his acclaim, his success, all the praise that the world had bestowed upon him, all the divine power manifest in him through his miracles and teachings and healings, all of that is stripped away. So that in this moment, it's just Jesus and his brokenness for everyone to see. He doesn't have to hide it, disguise it. He doesn't have to put those two pieces of bread back together to make him look like he's got it all together. He just says, this is me, and I'm broken. And isn't it beautiful? In this symbolic act, Jesus breaks himself so that we can see the beauty of our own brokenness, so that we can finally know that our brokenness is not meant to be hidden or concealed or disguised or even feared. In that moment, the breaking of the bread becomes the breaking of the curse that we all live under. That's the curse of failure. It's the curse of brokenness. It's the curse of perfection. It's like he's saying, are you afraid of your brokenness? Are you afraid to let others see it? Are you afraid of being broken by making a mistake or failing or not measuring up? Um, Let me just take the fear away, he says. Let me just now break myself in two. So you can see the brokenness is what we're all about. It's nothing to be afraid of and nothing to be ashamed of. We're all broken people. And we all live by mending, and God's grace is the glue. Our problem, however, is that we often associate uh, broken people with damaged goods. And in our throwaway culture, damaged goods are disposable and irredeemable. And so in our lives, we tend to worry a lot about what others might see in our brokenness and that they might dispose of us or dump us. Have you ever been to the local dump? I know we're supposed to call it the landfill these days because it's more civilized and sanitized, but I mean, look, we don't go there, whatever you want to call it, we don't go there to fill the land. We go there to dump stuff, unwanted stuff, broken stuff that's now worthless to us, which makes the landfill uh, one of the most depressing places on earth. All the wreckage and relics of modern consumerism are on full display there, and it's sad, and it literally stinks. 
And the last time I visited a landfill, a few years ago, I was disposing of a pine tree that had died in my front yard. And when I arrived, these two guys right next to me were unloading, of all things, a massive eight-person hot tub. I mean, are you following this? A full-size jacuzzi went into the earth forever. I did check to make sure it was empty, that no one was actually in it at the time. Because isn't that what we often do with broken people too? We deem them damaged goods and too broken to be redeemed, so we haul them away. This is why I think in the breaking of the bread, Jesus breaks himself to show us that even broken people are beautiful. If you read the Bible, you will find that it is full of broken people. Noah was a bit of a drunk. Jacob was a bit of a thief. Moses was a murderer with a speech impediment. I mean, you want to get into the David and Bathsheba thing? And then the murder that followed? Rahab was a prostitute. Peter was a denier three times. Martha was a worrier. Zacchaeus was a tax collector who worked for the enemy, the Romans. Even the Apostle Paul confesses in 2 Corinthians to having an unnamed thorn in the side. And what does the Apostle Paul say about his brokenness? He says in 2 Corinthians, I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I am content with weakness. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. There's broken people everywhere, even here, especially here. Isn't that the whole point of being the church? The body of Christ is a gathering of imperfect, broken people who have chosen to live by mending and who believe that God's grace is the glue and who understand that in their own healing, they can help mend other broken people. We're all broken in some way. Sometimes we break ourselves through our choices, our mistakes, our actions, our regrets, our unwillingness to forgive ourselves. Sometimes life breaks us through terrible tragedy or loss, suffering or violence. Sometimes others will break us through their words or abuse or oppression or their hatred. But Jesus seems to know at this dinner table that you can't mend what you cannot or pretend not to see. And so he breaks himself and he holds himself up for everyone to see, inviting each of us to pull our brokenness out of the darkness of shame and to befriend it and then to place it under the light of God's blessing. And when we do that, we discover that our brokenness doesn't have to be an obstacle to the joy and peace that we long for, but instead can be a, an instrument or means to it. The late writer Henry Nouwen says, the great secret of the spiritual life is that everything we live, be it gladness or sadness, joy or pain, health or illness, it can all be part 
of the human journey toward the full realization of our humanity. In other words, even our brokenness can be used by God. I see this so often. People who choose intentionally to break the curse of perfection and to put their brokenness under the light of God's blessing and discover over time that they become strong enough in the broken places to help mend others. And it is so beautiful when it happens. A recovering alcoholic who becomes a sponsor for other alcoholics. Or a mother who lost a child but volunteers once a week to answer the suicide hotline. Or an adult survivor of child abuse who pursues a career in child advocacy or therapy. Or a wounded warrior who finds personal healing and counseling others who have just come home from war. Broken people, mending broken people by their own stories of healing. And by God's grace, it's what Jesus did when he broke the bread and said, this is my body and I'm breaking it for you. In 1971, Leonard Bernstein wrote this musical entitled Mass, M-A-S-S, Mass. And it was, a, it was written in memory of John F. Kennedy on the occasion of the grand opening of the Kennedy Space Center, uh, Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., The reviews on this musical were rather mixed and not very favorable. But in this concluding scene, there's this uh, priest who is dressed in gorgeous liturgical vestments like mine. And he's holding, holding this beautiful glass chalice. And he's lifted high above the stage by this pyramid of dancers. When suddenly the dancers stumble and the priest falls and tumbles and crashes to the floor. And his In the process, his vestments are stripped away, and that glass chalice is shattered. And slowly the priest rises to his feet, and he's now just wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt. And as he walks barefoot among the broken debris of his former glory, a children's choir begins to sing the words of the ancient Laudate, praise, praise, praise be to God. And for the longest time, the priest looks down at all the shattered pieces of his chalice until at last he speaks the final words of the entire musical he says look isn't that odd I never realized that broken glass could shine so brightly our takeaways for today to be human is to be broken along the way. In the breaking of his body, Jesus breaks the curse of perfection. You place your brokenness under the light of God's blessing, it will become a means to joy and peace. Let us pray. Oh God, to you we offer our whole selves, that which is whole and healed and that which is broken. May we, with courage, put whatever brokenness we carry under the light of your blessing, that we might be menders of the world. Amen. 
thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.